and then we'll go into the sermon today. God, thanks for your word. Thanks that your Holy Spirit teaches us, and he speaks, and so I pray that each one of us would hear what you want us to hear, and um, would we respond in whatever way you ask us to respond. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, uh, tax time, of course. The internal revenue, if you make between 34 and 82,000, just so I'm going to hear a guess here, Internal Revenue Service wants how, what percentage of your income? Just out loud, what do you think? <laughs> what? All of it, somebody said. Okay. <laughs> the correct answer approximately is 25%. So if you're doing your taxes, if you make me that much, about that much, what the IRS wants from you. All right, next one. State of Indiana Department of Revenue wants this much of your income. But what do you think? The rest of it, okay. Correct answer, 3.4. I, I did my taxes this week, so you're trying to wonder where this number came from. 3.4%. And if I did something wrong, I'm sorry. Monroe County wants this much of your income. Well, I think I had this right. 1.05. Now, if that's wrong, I'll have to correct my tax forms. All right, 1.05%. All right. The state of Indiana wants this much from you in sales tax. 7%. Very good. Next one. The average person sends the grocery stores for food wants this percentage of your income. This is average, U.S. average. All right, here we go. 7.7%. All right, next one. Restaurants for eating out, the average American, wants this much of your income. Bing, bing, 5.4%. Now, some of you may spend that all on Starbucks, so you need to change your averages a little bit, all right? All right. Gas station, this, of course, is probably not accurate, even though it might have been accurate two months ago. Want this percentage of your income. Next one, bing, 3.3%, which is probably like, you do that in a week now, don't you? All right? If you have a pickup truck, you do it in a day. Your mortgage lender and utilities want this much of your income. About what percentage do you spend on housing? Roughly, Americans spend, bing, 33%. All right? The next one, I'm going to give you a clue. How much does this person want of your income? Bing. God wants this much of your income. Okay, does God need his piece of the pie? What's up with that? Know that by the way, anybody know what that picture's from? Far side. All right, far side people? Yeah, okay. Anybody below, anybody younger doesn't know, don't know what we're talking about, but one of the greatest comic strips ever. All right. Why does God want his piece of the pie? I mean, is he competing with, you know, Chili's and Marathon and Wells Fargo Mortgage? And why does God need to stick his hand into my income pie? He likes pie, somebody just said. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah, God wants his pie. Is that all God is? Is he just wanting to make sure he gets his name in there? So by the time you get the money spent, he has some left over? I mean, these are honest questions we ask. Now, let's talk next one here. I'm going to make this uh, in, in the Bible. This is a real quick overview because tithing, the word tithing actually means a tenth, 10%. We're going to talk about where this comes from and then kind of wrestle with the question of this. Uh, there's three reasons in the Old Testament and then also in the New that are summarized in terms of why God asked for money. I mean, early on, he asked Cain and Abel to give a sacrifice. Uh, Abraham, who we've talked about, gave a tenth of what he made to a guy, uh, to a king, as, as kind of as a sacrifice to God. And then throughout, the, you know, the Exodus, Leviticus, Genesis, all those books of the Bible, God starts telling his people, you need to give a tenth 
to the Levites, which was to the priests, because that's what, they're, you know, that's what they would live on. But then he also talks about the tithe, some of your part of your portion, part of that 10% going to the poor and needy, because there should be no poor and needy among you. But there's also times where the tithe, and usually in those days the tithe was one-tenth of your crops, one-tenth of your animals, because there wasn't much of a cash economy. But it was also meant, sometimes God said, I want you to take a tenth of that, and I want you to have a big party with it. I want you to celebrate before the Lord. So tithing, had a, a portion of your income belongs to God, and God would want you to use it in these ways. And again, I could give you the whole list of biblical times where that talk comes up, and it comes up a number of times. Jesus talked about tithing in a way that affirmed the practice of tithing. All right? Tithing as a practice, click on here, typically in the Bible is systematic, it's proportionate, generous. It always says give according to, you know, according to your means. There's a systematic nature of it. But again, tithing as a sense means 10%. All right, now, let me make this statement here too. The next one. Tithing is an obedience issue. It's not a legalistic issue. All right? And I think one time, sometimes we wrestle with that. Um, it's something that God asks of us. It's not a legalistic thing by which we will measure your or my spirituality. Legalism is when you have a practice that you measure your own well-being before God by. Obedience is something, something we do in response to God. So if you, if you struggle or wrestle with this issue, which is understandable, we all do, it's, a, it's an obedience issue you're struggling with. And I'm not saying that to, to make any of you feel guilty or heavy or burdened. It's just that's, just the, way, that's, the, that's the way God talks about it. It's an obedience issue. All right? It's not a legalistic issue. It's not a um, twist-your-arm issue. Oops. Okay. All right, now, um, one of the things that Exodus we say, and this is in response to what Scripture says, is we ask people who are a regular part of Exodus and this, and the, we, to make this commitment, we, I will release 10% of my income back to God, first to the ministries of Exodus Church and then through other Christ-centered ministries. So we don't, we don't necessarily teach. Some churches would teach all, your first 10% needs to all come to the church offering. Our, our, what we believe Scripture kind of would attest to is that you need to set aside a tenth of your income to give away as God directs you to your first thought needs to be to the church in a sense. But, you know, what percentage breakdown is really kind of opinion you and God. You know, you might give 7% to the church and 3% to some other organizations or 5 and 4 I, You know, we don't. And we don't ask for that. We don't ask you to kind of give those. That's between you and God. But I'm challenging you to think about the, the fact that you even would be asked to give it all from God, you know, the 10%. Now, we talked about last week how... This is typically how we deal with money. I mean, this is, this is not just a story of the children of Israel going from Egypt to Israel. This is my story about my checkbook and how God, wrestled, you know, God wants me to let go of 10%. I panic, and so do you. We complain, oh, God, you're not providing for me. How do you expect me to give when I don't think you're providing for me? We hoard our money. I need to make sure I have plenty in case God doesn't show up tomorrow. We complain some more. We covet what other people have, and in a sense, sometimes by our inactivity, we exploit the poor. So all these are emotions and all these are realities that we all have about our money because when God starts talking about money, we typically, I typically, you know, close up, put my hand in my wallet and make sure, okay, wait a minute, God, what do you want this for? But these are all real emotions that every one of us are going to experience at any time when it comes to God and our money, all right? Um, now... I'm gonna look at it. We're going to look at just a, 
I think is an interesting conversation from the Bible, story from the Bible, and from the book of Malachi. Now, let's kind of Old Testament history. You know, we have Abraham. Abraham has son Isaac, Jacob. He has all, you know, all these generations. Joseph jumps in the picture. Joseph becomes leader in Egypt. God's people all move to Egypt. They become slaves there. Charlton Heston, a.k.a. Moses, leads them out to the promised land. And then they kind of give themselves into idolatry. They don't devote themselves to God. God allows them to be overtaken by the Babylonians, by the Persians. And a lot of times they're sent into exile, and life doesn't go good for them. The book of Malachi, 450 B.C., so generations have passed since Abraham, and God's people are still trying to figure out what it means to give themselves wholeheartedly to him. You know, here's my heart, oh, take and seal it kind of commitment. And so God's people, some have been allowed finally to return back home. The red dot is about where Jerusalem is. They've been allowed to return back home. They're still under Persian rule. King Darius of Persia, still under Persian rule. And things aren't going good for them. So what you have people, here's the attitudes that were really high in the culture those days. Religious cynicism, political skepticism, and spiritual disillusionment. Sound familiar? That could be said of our culture. It could be said of probably of this group right here. Religious, religious cynicism, political skepticism, spiritual disillusionment, disappointed that our expectations of life with God haven't worked out as we thought they should. That's the people that Malachi is writing to. All right? People who life with God isn't working out, God's not cooperating, whatever it is, it hasn't worked out. All right? So let me read from Malachi chapter 3. What Malachi, uh, the whole book is Malachi kind of challenging about four or five issues that God's people were being resistant to. And it's one of these things when you read it, it sounds like, wow, this sounds really heavy. But again, we believe that if God really ultimately has our livelihood and our joy-filledness and our life-giving life as his goal, there are times where God needs to correct us and challenge us, all right? So here's Malachi. He has all these different... He, what he does, he writes some of these kind of conversations that he knows they're talking. That, you know, he'll, he'll raise a question, and then he'll say, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this. All right, so here's what Malachi writes. And this is Malachi speaking for God. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That's why you descendants of Jacob are not all already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And this is where we use this kind of interesting writing style. But you ask, how can we return? We have never gone away. And then God responds, should people, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? And the people respond, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Okay, this is the kind of the writing style like Malachi is using. And then Malachi, God says, you have cheated me out of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. This is God saying this to people. You're cheating me. Bring all my tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food for my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. That's God's goal. His goal is not to run you dry financially. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe says the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a light, says the Lord of heaven's armies. All right, now, let's summarize the, con- the conversation here. All right, God says, return to me and I'll return to you. And the people say with kind of a whiny kind of voice, how can we return? We've already never gone away. What are you talking about, God? And God says, should people cheat God? But you've cheated me. And now the people are feeling a little more offensive and they're putting their hands back on their wallets and grabbing their checkbooks and grabbing their credit cards. What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? And God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. Because these Jewish men and women knew from centuries on that God had, had wanted to bless them abundantly and through them bless the nations. But part of God's covenant promise with them was he wanted them to learn to let go of 10%. All right? You've cheated me the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. That's pretty strong language. God said, you're cheating me. You're not, you're not giving me what I'm asking. And it almost sounds like some kind of overlord who is wanting his money, and if you don't get my money, I'm going to send somebody to break your kneecaps kind of thing. I mean, it sounds like that, but we know that's not God. As a matter of fact, this whole book of Malachi, God starts off by saying, I have always loved you. I've always loved you. So this is not like this is not like Vinny sending his cousin Leo to break your kneecaps or whatever. All right? Because God says that to the people. He has this you know, imaginary conversation with them and with us. But then then we see kind of more of the heart of God here. You know, if you just read the other part, it does sound like God's this kind of, you know, gangster boss who just wants his cut of the share and otherwise he's gonna, you know. I'm going to quit doing that. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, he's going to uh, you know, break the windows in your store or whatever. All right? This is what God says. All right? this, let, I'm going to read this, but I want you to kind of feel the heart of God through this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There will be enough food in my temple. If you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. That's what God wants for us. I mean, words like abundant, delight, blessing, open the windows, all pour out. Now, granted, God's not saying here, you give... And I'll give you, you know, you know, you put your quarter in the, in the candy bar machine and I'll give you 20 candy bars out. So it's not like we're trying to tit for tat with God. God's just saying it's like the law of gravity. This is how life works. If you're willing to let go and not live your life clutching onto your money, you'll see how a whole new way of life opens up to you and you'll see how I really do want to bless you. But you got to do things my way, God says. So God's not saying... You better give me this money to appease me or I'm going to hurt you. You give me this money and I'll give you something back. You give me 50, I'll give you 51. I mean, it's not God playing this deal. He's saying, this is the kind of people I want you to be because if you're going to live your life clutching on to stuff, you have no way to receive what I want to give you. If I'm clutching on to stuff, I can't take anything God wants to give me. When God says, I want you to let go of that, he's basically saying, will you let go so I can put something in your hands? And we're like, you know, burden of hands worth two in the bush. So we just hold on because we're not quite sure if we let go of that, if God really is going to put anything there, we're, we're going to be left with nothing. 
So we'd rather hold on to the few dollars we have because what if God doesn't fill my hands? But God says, I'm going to fill your hands with so much more than you've ever imagined. Not just material blessings, but uh, you know, spiritual blessings. And the question is that I'm going to throw out to all of us this morning, myself included, when God says, try it, put me to the test, the word you're I should have taken out, my bad. The question I want to ask you is, will you? Will you try it? And some of you, and I know there are some of you here that are already in the habit of, of tithing. And again, we're not, not, you know, don't be so nitpicky accounting-wise, 10% or whatever. But tithing does mean 10%. It's kind of the beginning place to start with your wrestling with God. Some of you, God may be calling to give more. Some of you may need to kind of get out of debt as you're trying to give. I mean, there's all kinds of financial situations represented here this morning. All kinds. Because some of you might think, I can't give God anything. I've got to pay off, you know, visa. And that's a real issue you've got to wrestle with, and you may need to kind of work toward that. What I, want, what I challenge people is at least work toward that. Make some movement toward that direction because there's something that God wants to do in your life when you start letting go of those things. I mean, if you're considering, if, you know, if you're a high school student or a college student, I mean, if you could pay 20 bucks for babysitting, take two bucks and give it to a church, give it to a ministry, give it to a homeless person. Just get in the habit of, hey, you know, I can do that. I can give it away. Get in the habit. Get your heart in that habit. And something begins to unleash inside of you when you do that. Now, let me finish with the passage that ends the book of Malachi after God's kind of saying all this challenging stuff. Because really, again, the heart of God is he wants delight for you, he wants blessing for you, he wants abundance for you, he wants joy for you. In the end of the book, after God has like five conversations with people about money, about how they're treating their wives, about how they're doing this, I mean, there's like five big things God hits on. And then he says this, but for you who fear my name, remember Abraham feared God, and I should remember we said when it was interesting when Abraham feared God, God said, you feared me and you didn't withhold. So if you fear God, in a sense, you're, you, you're somebody who's learning not to withhold from God. If you fear my name, the son of righteousness, kind of a prophetic reference to Jesus, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. God says, I want you to let go of 10% because I want you to be free of the idolatry of the clutch. I mean, think about that, the imagery there. I've never seen a calf let out to pasture, all right? But think about uh, if, if you, how many have seen that? Anybody seen a calf jumping? Okay, we have a few calf people here. All right. Uh, think about if uh, I was watching the movie Secretariat a few weeks ago. Think about horses that are right in the gates and they're just antsy to kind of get out there and show their and, and be free. And the gates open and, and the beauty and the speed and the freedom becomes abundantly clear. That it wasn't before because it was trapped in. I mean, that's the imagery God's saying He wants for each one of us. He wants us to have that kind of freedom of living that's like this calf that's jumping up and down for the first time realizing this is kind of neat. I can live this way. I mean, notice he's not, God is not saying, and if you do what I say, you'll have a boring, less than abundant, horrible life, and you may be able to afford a beat-up Chevrolet if, you, if you're lucky, you know, kind of thing. But he's saying, if you do what I'm saying, if you do what I'm asking you to, if you fear my name and stop holding on to stuff, this is what I want for you. 
And again, I'll back up again and say, if, you're, if the money is an issue you're wrestling with God about, and you're not quite sure about the request we're making, send it somewhere else. I don't care. Send it somewhere else, but let go of it. Give it to homeless people. Send it to Emanuel Baptist Church, Sherwood Oaks Church. You know, I don't care. Just let go of it. Let go of it so you can be free of that silly idolatry we give ourselves into where we define our well-being by how much money we have in our bank account and what kind of cars we drive. Because God wants so much more for you than that. Um, Let me pray. God, uh, would you deliver us, me, all of us, from the stranglehold of money? And would you deliver us from valuing ourselves um, by how much we have? Would you deliver us from not trusting that you'll take care of us? And God, would you help each one of us see that your heart for us really, really, really is good toward us? Just like a good father or a good mother, just like the, the geezers and the caterbergs, they want really good things for their daughters. And God, you want good things for all of your sons or daughters. You want us to be free, alive, abundant, blessed, full of life, and fully obedient to you because that's how we've become those kind of people. So God, would you set us free um, from anything that holds us uh, slavery? And we love you, and um, we want to have hearts that are fully devoted to you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, We finish every week at Exodus with uh, communion. And we do that part, uh, in large part because um, Jesus is central to who we are. We're not about religious. We're not even about just the Bible. We're not just about being Christian in a cultural sense. We're about being followers of Jesus who will trust Jesus with our lives. All right? So this, this, what we're about to do here, if you're not a regular church person or if you just want to kind of refresh your memory, what we're about to do here is reminding ourselves of our desire to trust Jesus. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. You know, eat this bread, drink this cup. Remember the kind of things I came to save you from. Remember that I am the son of righteousness who wants to come and heal you and teach you how to dance in great freedom. And remember what I did on the cross to accomplish that opportunity for you. That's what we're doing here. So when you come and take this bread and this juice and ingest it into your system, it's your way before God of saying, I want, I want more of Jesus in me, and I want to trust him in me. I want to trust him with my life, with my habits, with my thoughts, with my money, with everything. All right? Um, here's how we do it at Exodus. You'll come up on, you'll, uh, what, uh, Nathan and the others will lead us in a few more songs. While we're singing, we just come on up. Come up, up right away. Uh, we don't dismiss by rows. Um, anyone who desires to be a follower of Christ is welcome up here. Offer you the bread. Tear off a piece. We're off you the cup. Just ask you to dip it in the cup. Don't try to drink out of the cup. Just dip it in there and then head on back to your seats. Now, this morning, and then we also on a regular basis have people in that room that's labeled prayer for anybody um, that wants prayer for anything. All right. One of the things when they were praying this morning, the prayer team had a sense that there may be some here this morning. This is unrelated to the sermon, but it's not unrelated to what God wants. There may be some here this morning that need healing from past Um, past wounds, maybe deep wounds, uh, maybe even abusive wounds, all right? 
Now, we're not going to assume if you're going back there, you're going back there for that reason, but there may be some here that desperately needs someone to pray for them about healing and forgiveness, all right? So you can go back there for anything, but there's a sense that maybe there are some here today, maybe even just one, that really just needs somebody to pray with them about healing from past hurts and um, wounds, all right? Also this Sunday, while you're after, before, after you're taking communion, I want to encourage you to go ahead and just fill out one of those yellow things. Um, even if you're not, uh, if you're a regular here, but you don't have a lot of money, even if it's a dollar or two, just, I'm going to challenge you to do something, all right? And if you don't want to feel singled out, you can go over there and, you know, put zero and drop it in there too if you don't, if you don't want to be embarrassed, if you don't feel like God's saying anything to you or whatever. But we're not trying to, you know, nobody's, when there's no cameras in the ceiling watching and who's doing what or whatever, all right? So, all right? So I want the band to come on up here and uh, I'll pray and then we'll take communion. Thank you, uh, Jesus that you opened up a whole new universe for us, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of thinking because of your death and your resurrection. Um, Thank you that we can die to the old ways of life that tell us we define ourselves by how many toys we have, and we can open ourselves up to a whole new way of life which tells us our definition and our identity is based on what you think about us and your love. So with gratitude, we take this bread and this cup um, and honor you. Amen.